part two of our message. How's everyone doing? Y'all ready? Uh, we can just throw that up. Uh, Amelia made that. She's on a camping trip right now, but she still made that. Uh, seeking God um, was supposed to be one message, and we've gone into part two. And I'm believing in Jesus' name uh, that this will be the conclusion of the message. But you never know with these things. Um, we are still in the middle of a series on Ephesians 4. Uh, the reason why I bring that up is just so all of you can be confident that I haven't forgotten. Uh, we are going through the entire book of Ephesians. Uh, but I do think God is speaking to his people uh, about seeking him. Uh, there's been a verse. I read it during prayer. Uh, and I'm going to read it to all of you today. Um, and it is uh, Hosea chapter 10, uh, verse 12. They don't have this because I just decided earlier that I was going to share it. Um, but it says, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And this has just been really, uh, I've been sitting on this lately. There's a really high chance that at some point I'm going to preach a sermon on this verse. Uh, but I do want to say really quick what I love about this. Uh, I said it in pre-service prayer, but I'm just going to repeat myself. The Bible says to sow yourself righteousness and reap steadfast love. And I think there's a Christian concept. Um, it, it's the closest thing to karma that you see in Christianity. And it is what you reap, what you sow, you will reap. Uh, right? And, and literally, God is telling the people, and if you look at the context, he's telling them, like, you guys have been reaping the wrong things. You guys have been sowing the wrong things. Um, but in this context, he's actually telling them, like, if you want steadfast love in your life, you have to sow righteousness. And righteousness just means right standing with God, uh, right? And I think for so many of us, we're, we're, we can find ourselves angry or bitter or depressed or addicted and stuck on things. And the Bible's response is, is you've probably been planting things in your garden, if you will, uh, that now it's growing. And it's like you're shocked that your life is the way that it is. But 99 times out of 100, our life's the way that it is because of decisions we made and things that we sowed into our own lives, right? And so God is saying, rip it all out. And sow righteousness, right? And reap steadfast love. I love it. It says, break up your fallow ground. He's talking about the soil, the soil of the heart, uh, right? And what I love about that is Jesus tells a parable about seeds scattered, right? And he says that some seeds find fertile soil. Some seeds find rocky soil. Some seeds find hard soil. And there's like a description for all of it. And the thing that Pastor Dodgell pointed out when he preached to the men uh, was that the seed never changes, but the ground does. And so what God is telling the people is, hey, I'm telling you the same thing I've always told you. So you need to till your hearts, right? You need to be able to receive. And the concept, he's saying, you need to break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. Uh, hearts that have the wrong soil, if you will, uh, they, they cannot seek God. And I don't know if you've ever had times where you know you should be praying to God, but it's just not in you. It's because the ground needs to be tilled, Right? Um, it's time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Something I just really love about that is like, you need to sow righteousness if you want righteousness to rain. Like what you sow will get poured on you. Yeah. You know, and so it's like the lifestyle that you live is what you will see and what you put in, you will get out exactly what you put in. Right? It's, um, there's a comedian who tells a joke about how uh, pigs are the best recycling ever because you give it an apple and you get bacon. Um, and it's like, but like in real life, that's not how things actually work, right? Like what do you actually put in 
is what is going to come out. Uh, so if you're putting in all kinds of things that are destructive for you and then you wonder why your life is destroyed, uh, like you can't be shocked because what, what goes in will come out. Uh, you are what you eat, if you will. Uh, that is just kind of a side thing. It's been really on my heart, but I love because God is saying it is time to seek the Lord. And I think that you'll find that people who actually are at peace with God, people who are confident in their calling, that there's something built in them that they actually want to seek God. Uh, now, I am not going to talk for an hour again on the, this verse that I started with, but I will remind you how we ended last week because it was just the introduction to my message. And I started with this 1 Samuel 13, 14. And we see with David, it says, but now your kingdom, this is God speaking about Saul right now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you and what I left everyone with was a question and I really do pray you spent the last week meditating on this question the question is this I know that God has a heart for you but do you have a heart for God because when God chose a king, he didn't pick his favorite. What did he say? He says, I'm picking someone who has a heart after me. I'm picking someone who seeks me. Right? And we talked about all the great men in the Bible and all the great women in the Bible. And how often when God chose them, he usually found them in the place of prayer. That when Jesus calls one of his disciples, he says, I saw you under that tree. And he falls and he says, like, surely you must be who we've been seeking. And it's like, God was like, I, I saw you praying. Yeah. One of the 12 was found in the place of prayer. Yeah. And that's why he was made one of the 12. That's right. right? But I think for many of us, we can find ourselves in the same boat of the disciples on Jesus' last night of life. Where God looks and says, could you not tarry with me for an hour? Yeah. You know? And I do believe that Hosea verse applies for us right now. I really think God is saying, like, it is time to seek the Lord. Uh, again, I said this in pre-service prayer, but I want to reiterate it. Uh, it. It looks like right now, if you just look at politics, you look at the state of the world, you look at the elections coming up, which again, hey, uh, you should go vote. Everyone go vote. Let your voice be heard. You live in a country where it actually can be. Uh, so go vote. You should absolutely do it. But, you know, probably vote on election day. You know what I'm saying? Um, but um, regardless, um, the world seems to be in like a right now. You know, it doesn't matter what news sources you're really looking at and coming out of what country. It's because there's, there's war going on in Ukraine and Russia. There's nuclear wars have been, nu nuclear war has been threatened. Uh, I got like a, like a notification on my phone. I don't know if you guys got it. It was like the notification that was like, hey, if a nuke comes your way, we'll give you a 10 minute warning. And I was like, that's cool. Uh, that's not enough time to do anything. Just don't tell me, you know, like just let me die. You know, like <laughs> at that point, like you might as well just let me enjoy my last 10 minutes. Um, uh, but I guess not. I guess I'll have a 10 minute warning to like buckle down and just enjoy the ten, last 10 minutes. Um, but like, it just seems like the world is in a, a pause. And I think this is the time to seek the Lord, you know, uh, that God is alpha and he is omega and he is beginning and he is end. And, and, um, people need to rise up and not be so quiet or subservient to what's going on in this day and age, and instead stand up for God. Um, but those who seek him know him. And so I want to dive in um, with David. And I want to I tell you a story that um, many people probably know. 
uh, we know the story uh, of, I think, even people who don't really know about the Bible, they're kind of vaguely aware of the story of David bringing the ark in, and Uzzah touched it, and when Uzzah touched it, he died. Um, and most people who have read that story, they've read it from First, Second Samuel. They've read it from Second Samuel. And the thing with Second Samuel is, Second Samuel has a time jump, but it doesn't tell you there's a time jump. You know, it's just kind of like this happened, and then here's what David did. But if you read First Chronicles, you see this happened, and then a whole lot of other stuff happened, and then the next verse in, in First Samuel happened. And so I want to actually take you guys through that First Chronicles section. Um, and we're just going to talk about David. We're going to talk about what made him stand out. Look, if God says about someone, I'm picking this person because his heart's after me, uh, we should take notes and look at his lifestyle, right? Because some, this person can show us what it means to have a heart for God, right? And it's like, I think in most churches on most Sundays, uh, people try really hard uh, to make sure that they, they preach the gospel every Sunday. And I'm not against that. I think that's really smart and it's a good idea. But the problem is if we're only preaching that, you can't actually go deeper, right? You can't actually, if you're preaching every weekend that Jesus loves you and, and he died for you, which is totally true, uh, you can never get to the point where it's like, and here's what you, you do about it, all right? And so truthfully, today's message really isn't a message for people who do not know Jesus. Uh, this message is, hey, if, if you've been found by God, you should seek him in return. Um, and so this message presupposes that you know him. If you don't know him, I encourage you to get to know him because Jesus is awesome and he's real and he saved us and he got me off of drugs and, <clears throat> and got me out of addiction and got me away from a bunch of things that should have uh, claimed my life and ruined my life. He took me out of depression and he brought me uh, peace and joy and a wonderful and beautiful family. Um, and I think a lot of people... Um, don't have that peace. And I'll tell you, he brings it. He is the Prince of Peace. Uh, so let's start with First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 3 to 4. And it goes a little something like this. Uh, then let us bring again the ark of God to us. Let's pause. David just got his kingdom. He's got his crown. He's finally king. You know, God says to, to David, you're going to be king. And then 15 years later, he's finally king, uh, right? Which, you know, that won't preach. Uh, maybe we don't like the sermon of, hey, when God makes a promise, it could be a while, but it's going to happen. I love the Bible says about Abraham, that Abraham had faith knowing that he would, he would, he would inherit the promise he never saw, right? And so it's like, like God made him a promise, and he was never going to see it, but he had to fight for it so his kids could see it, right? And like that won't preach because we want ours. We want mine, but I'm called. Well, what about my anointing? What about who I am? And that is a distinctly unchristian concept because it's not really about me. It's about him, and whatever you want, God, that's what this is about. We've said it a thousand times here at Boulevard. I want to create a place for Titus and Isla and Johnny and Mila and Asher and Atticus and Eden and all the other babies whose names I'm forgetting because I feel really bad now uh, because they're like, you forgot my baby, Camille, uh, <laughs> Sophie. Like, I want to create a place where those children can do something insane because there were people who had the heart to die for the next generation, right? Um, <clears throat> But we can get so self-focused on what's my call, what's my motivation. Here's your call, to seek the Lord all the days of your life. That's your call. And if you want more than that, you're not ready for the more than that. Yeah. Right? Um, but David gets handed the kingdom. He finally stops warring, and he finally is back in Jerusalem. He's finally like, okay, I'm finally in charge now. Because how many of y'all know it's very rare for authority to be passed on peacefully? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I think that's what, uh, one of the things they say that made George Washington so great was that at the end of his time, he handed over an entire country to the next person and went back to his farm, right? And it's like, like they call, I think I read in history, they called it the, the bloodless coup. He literally, he just handed it and he left. And so that was one of the defining characteristics of what made him great because people asked him to be king, but he said no, like, you know, handing over power is very rare. And so in the life of David and heck, even in his son who was a child of peace, four people had to die for him to inherit the kingdom, right? Um, it's not often uh, peaceful, and for David it wasn't as well. But David, now that finally things have settled, he has won the battles and he has claimed what has rightfully been given to him. Uh, he says, then let us bring again the ark of God to us, for we, do, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. Can we go back to verse 3? Uh, what I, here's what I love. is that, Then again, let us bring again the ark of God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Um, David was drawing attention to why his rule would be different. Because my time as king will be defined by the presence of God. It wasn't about his rights. It wasn't about his might. It wasn't about his power. It wasn't about what was rightfully his. His kingdom was going to be defined by the presence of God. And he drew it in, in direct contradiction to the kingdom before. Right? May have been mighty and Saul may, may have been strong. And Saul may have been a head taller than everyone else. And he may have at many points in his life had the pleasure of the people where they did love him. But because he sought that, he couldn't succeed as king. Whereas David sought something else. And I, what I wrote this was that David prioritized the presence of God. You can write that down. Uh, because that's really just the main point, right? Like, you can't really seek what you haven't prioritized. All right? If you think of any relationship you've ever been a part of, if you want to, if you want to marry someone or if you are married to someone, you didn't just, like, wake up one day and you were married to them. There was a process of prioritizing that person. There was a process of, like, you need my undivided attention. Uh, because um, that's, that's the relationship that I want. Um, there was, with my wife, as I sought her, um, she, you know, you, you write letters, you text, you call on the phone, you think about the person all the time, you're making plans to hang out with them. You form your week around how to be around them, right? Because that's what it means to seek, and that's what it means to prioritize. And that when me and my wife started dating, it was because she was sought after. That began the process. And it's like, I feel, I've never understood Christians who don't seek God, but are desperately desiring, oh, I just want to be married. It's like, you literally get the concept. You just want to apply it to the right person. You know? Um, and so it's like, it's because literally the process is exactly the same. You read, you talk, you have conversations. You ask, what are they doing? Because I want to be a part of it. Uh, right? But David prioritized the presence of God. So the Bible says that David had a heart for God. It was why he was made king in the first place, but he still needed to learn the wisdom it took to be a man of his calling. David had no one to look to. His father did not approve of his kingship, and the king before him tried to kill him so that he would not in inherit the kingdom. The guy who anointed him passed away and died. David was standing alone. And so he had to seek God. There was no one to seek. This, he is only the second king of these people. There was no prior kings to look at. There was just one terrible role model. And at least thank God even a bad role model is a role model. Yeah. Yeah. 
because at least you know what not to do. <laughs> Even in a bad example, at least, the, okay, so he didn't seek God, and he lost this. Okay, I'm going to try something. I'm going to try something different. Uh, hallelujah. Um, uh, but here's the thing. David's heart for God, you see it all throughout Scripture. Prioritizing God isn't just, I have his presence and that's it. You know, I think uh, you've seen Christians who just chase the glory clouds. They just follow the conferences around. They're prioritizing the presence, but there's no wisdom. They're not get building roots. They're not changing the world. They're just seeking their own experience with God consistently. And that's not healthy. There's more to it than just, I want to be in your presence. There's so much more to seeking God than just, I want to be in your presence. Because again, even Jesus came down from the mountain, uh, right? And it's like, we can't just chase it so much that we don't learn from it and apply it to the world. So here's what we see with David. David is about to bring the ark into the kingdom. And he is zealous and he is excited, but he lacks wisdom and understanding. And so he's about to learn a tough lesson. Right? And here's what we see. First Chronicles 13, verse 9 to 12. And they came to the threshing floor of Chidon. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know what that verse means. I don't know what that word means. I probably said it wrong. Uh, it's, it's Middle Eastern translated to English, and I'm a white dude trying to say it. So it's just like all kinds of terrible things are happening right now. Um, but uh, here's what's important. They go and they get the ark. And now they're bringing it back to Jerusalem. Right? Where was the ark? Actually, that guy Uzzah, it was at his dad's house. Uh, fun fact. So Uzzah's like been living with the ark this whole time. And Uzzah put his hand to take hold of the ark for the oxen stumbled. Now here's mistake number one. The Bible says that the Levitical priests are to carry the, the ark. So there should be no oxen. And there should be no Uzzah. Well, there's about to be no Uzzah. Spoilers. Uh, but uh, but he, he shouldn't be right behind it. Like, spoiler alert. Uh, verse 10. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. I don't know if that'll preach. Uh, and uh, verse 11. Hallelujah. And David was angry. So God got angry at Uzzah, and then David got angry at God. Because you can be a man after God's own heart and still have moments where you don't live right. You know what I'm saying? Having a heart for God and seeking God is not about perfection. It's not. You're going to fall short. You're going to mess up. There is no example in the Bible besides Jesus of someone who did not mess up. That's why it's weird to me when people put certain characters on pedestals. Like the amount of Christians that have like Paul on this like holy pedestal. And it's like, dude, he was a man just like the rest of us. You know what I'm saying? And he killed the game and he lived his calling real well. But that dude got angry. That dude cursed out the high priest and had to repent. Uh, <laughs> that dude cussed people out at least twice in the Bible. And so did Peter, by the way. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's fine. He, he, he cussed out God's anointed for the record. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> It's like these people aren't perfect because the whole point of their stories is you can be in relationship with God, doing mighty things for God. You can be at peace with God. You can have joy in your life and be filled with love and self-control and passion and zeal and all those things. And none of those require perfection. Well, they did require perfection, but he paid it. Right? 
And now my perfection isn't predicated upon my perfection. It's predicated upon his. The Bible says that I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Right? So it literally it has nothing to do with me. I'm in right standing with God because of Jesus. I bowed a knee to the king. That's it. All right. But David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. I really wish I would have looked up what that meant, but I forgot. So we're going to keep moving. But probably something about Uzzah getting murked is what I'm going to guess because his name's in it. Like, like, like poor dude Uzzah. But I feel like it's not like a good name, but there's a guy named Perez in the Bible. And so I feel like his name's negative. Like, I don't know what. All right. And David was afraid of God. He's angry and afraid of God. Can I ask you, if we can be honest in the room, you don't got to raise your hands, but you can think about it. Have you ever been angry or afraid of God? Yes. You ever been offended with God? Yes. We have no right to be, and yet it's part of the experience. <laughs> and it's, it's ultimately okay. Now, it's not okay, but it's ultimately okay because God's going to turn it for good. He's going to walk with us. God is so patient with us. He is so loving which is awesome because you could have been in Old Testament times where you just died like Uzzah did. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus changed the game is all I'm saying. Um, and David had some perspective, you know what I'm saying? Like now you, you kind of are the ark and you're fine. Uh, and David was afraid of God that day and he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? And so he didn't. He left the ark and he went away. And here's two, two things I've noticed about seeking the presence of God, and you see it in the failures of these two men, right? The first one we see in David, he sought the presence, but he didn't seek to understand the presence. And here's the difference, all right? And this is kind of important, that he knew the ark belonged in Jerusalem, but he didn't know how to get it there, yeah. right? Yeah. God left us his word, and Jesus said, my people perish due to lack of knowledge. Right. See, David didn't have a zealousness issue. He had a knowledge issue, and he made a big and dumb mistake because he sought God in a way that God didn't want to be sought. I've talked about this before. I've heard people say, well, me and God have a deal. You don't. You don't. There's one deal. It's a covenant, and Jesus said the road's narrow, <laughs> saying there's one way, one bridge, and we have to learn it. There's not many ways to God. That's, that's the... Honest to God and sad truth because you want everyone to come to Jesus. You want everyone to be in heaven with you someday, but the truth is that just isn't the case. So we need to know him. I'm reminded of that. Was that like like 90s, maybe early 2000s? Like, I want to know you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. Like that song? Again, sorry, guys. My voice is jacked. And I can barely sing to begin with. You know what I'm saying? But um, but there's this. There's a lack of wisdom in David, but there's not a lack of zealousness, right? And I flip it with Uzzah, who's lived his entire life without dying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then suddenly makes a boneheaded move. Why? I, I would argue that he had grown so accustomed. He was so desensitized to the presence of God that he ceased honoring it. Litmus test. What do you do during worship? Some people are up front crying. Some people were not. Being in a room with worship does not mean you were worshiping. Being in a room with people who are seeking God does not mean you sought God. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. That doesn't mean you were ever Christian. Right? And I think that's the point that Uzzah learned. (laughs) Right? Um, I mean, he was a man of covenant, so he's probably in heaven, to be completely honest. 
but he went straight there. You know what I'm saying? He got a, he got a, he got a fast pass. Um, <laughs> that's actually bad theology. He probably went to Abraham's bosom, but that's not funny for the joke. So let's just keep moving. Uh, <laughs> but he's there now. Uh, that's all that matters. Jesus preached to the captive. Hallelujah. But, um, <laughs> but, but he had become so desensitized to the presence. Listen, we cannot become used to this. It needs to be normal in the sense of every day, not normal in the sense of, eh, I don't really think about it. Yeah. Right? Don't make Uzzah's mistake. Don't walk into a church service and hear a message and walk and don't apply it to your life and then think that that somehow means you check the right boxes. Don't be in a room with people worshiping and you're on your phone and you're like, wow, worship was great today. It's like, you don't know that. Yeah. You're never a part of it. <laughs> right? You can, you can be in a room where people are praying and it doesn't count. Like you, We need to seek God and we can't become so normalized to it that we don't. Like I'll tell you, I, I've, I've gotten, I've checked the church about this before, but like I'll tell you like sincerely, when I'm here and I see people just conversating during worship, like, like my, my blood boils a little bit. Uh, and not like because I'm mad at you, but because like sincerely in my heart, I'm like, they do not understand what they're in right now. They do not understand the weight of the presence of God and the fact that in the presence of his people, they could be lifting God's name up on high, but they've decided something else is more important. And that is so telling, and it's sincerely heartbreaking. It could wait, whatever it is, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that, that applies anywhere. Like, it's not because our worship is so great. Like, we have Pastor Thomas, and he brings it. <laughs> but worship is worship, and it has nothing to do with who's doing what. Right. We all should stop and gaze at the king. You know, whatever you're doing during it. And some of you really like, oh, I'm busy. I'm doing my thing. I, I've got, I got a job to do. It's like, I'd pause, you know, and really just elevate God. You know, or die. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> like, who's okay. Uh, but uh, so David is mad at God and he leaves the ark away. So David makes this big proclamation. My kingdom will be defined by God's presence. And immediately that was challenged, and David made a dumb move. That instead of pausing and asking why things didn't turn out like I wanted it to, he shunned God away, and he removed himself from the Lord. Now, if you look at this story again in 1 Samuel, what we just read, the next verse talks about how they bring it in. But in second, 1 Chronicles, it goes deeper. It tells you there's a time jump. And here's what happens. God and David are not in a good place personally with each other i mean god loves david but david is afraid of the lord and not like in a healthy reverent way and like i won't even go into your presence i mean really to think about this he literally cast god out of the the, uh, the capital of the kingdom what's the difference between what saul did and what david just did nothing i don't think the enemy's plans changed that much Saw one king that was far from God, and I'm going to cause another king to be far from God. That's it, right? But war broke out. And I think David let his, his hurt teach him a lesson. Because when war broke out, the Bible says this in 1 Chronicles 14. We're in chapter 14 now. 14.10. And it says this, And David inquired of God, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, go up and I will give them 
into your hand. Now pause. Here's why that's such a big deal. Who here has heard the story of David and Goliath? That's a trick question. Y'all have. You don't even, like, you could have just, like, tripped into a church as your first time at a, building, a church building of your entire life. And you have heard the story of David and Goliath before. And what I love about that is when David shows up, his brother's like, what are you doing here? And Saul's like, like, hey, who will kill this guy? And David looks and goes, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's like, oh, I'll do it. He didn't ask the Lord. He didn't seek. He didn't say, like, God, am I going to die if I do this? He was just like, I'm going to handle this. Right, but the zealousness of his youth would not make him a worthy king of the future. All right, and so David could not go to God the same way. Right, he could not go, oh, here are the Philistines. I'm going to drop them. I'm going to take them all out like I always have. What happened? David's like, wait, God, am I going to win this? What changed? Uzzah. The Uzzah situation changed. <laughs> But here's the thing, what was a terrible thing was actually good for the kingdom ultimately because it, cost, it taught David to be less hot-headed. It taught him to be wiser. And it taught him to pause and seek God. Listen to me, with everything that you do, you should pause and seek God. Well, I know what the Lord wants. You might not, pause and seek God. And then David goes up and you know what happens? God says, I'm going to give them to you. Just go and attack them, right? And David goes, and they just, they, they completely wipe out the Philistines, right? Until later. <laughs> uh, when they, when they, try to, um, they try to come up against them again. And thank God David learned his lesson. Because again, young David would have charged the Philistines and just fought. And what's crazy is this first battle that we just talked about, he would have won. But now let's go to the second battle that David has, right? It goes like this, 1 Chronicles 14, 14. It says, and David again inquired of God, and God said to him, you shall not go up after them. Go around and come against them the opposite of the balsam trees. <clears throat> you see what, see there? God doesn't handle the same situation the same way twice. Just because something worked 10 years ago doesn't mean it will work now. We need to be tender to God and let him guide us in everything that we do. We need to seek him. I think it's stuff that God does intentionally to remind us to seek him. Had David charged head first without seeking God like he was prone to in his youth, they would have been destroyed right now. But God used Uzzah to teach David a lesson. And so because David had learned, I know we should be able to win, but God, what are you saying? God said, I'm not going to give them to you like I traditionally have. You need to go around. They're too big for you. They're too strong for you. You will lose without a strategy. Right? So, but this is what I love. How did David overcome his anger and fear of the Lord? He sought him in times of trouble. In those times of trouble, God taught David, I'm, I'm here for you just like I always have been. I haven't changed. And yet we're interacting differently. Right? God uses rough seasons to draw us closer to him. And I've talked about it many times that I think for, for many of us, when we go through rough seasons, it's like the quicker we can go to God and figure out why we're in the season, it's probably the quicker you're going to get through it. Like learn the lesson God is teaching you. Right? But again, that, it, that requires seeking him. See, here's the crazy thing about Christians. 
We have to actually live our lives under the assumption that there is a God, that he has a plan, and that we are a part of it and submitted to it. We have to actually do that. But honestly, I think many of us are righteous in our own ways. We think our view of God is perfect and right and, and holy, and so we know everything we should do in every situation. Or the opposite, we're so frozen that we just won't do anything God tells us. You know, but like we got to find the middle ground here. And here's the thing we see with David. And I love this. <clears throat> I love this. First Chronicles 15, two. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. Right. So after David won these two battles, he looked back to God and said, God, I want to bring you into Jerusalem. He's repenting here. But, uh, but first, let me, let me study. <laughs> right? And now the same thing that was happening in chapter 13 is happening in 15. But this time there's zeal and wisdom. Right? That David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. Yeah. And that's where that famous story. And then David's dancing and he's swinging and he's twirling. And then his wife, his wife is like, hey, you're supposed to be the king. You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to be the king. What are you doing? And what I love about that is, and Liz, this is important. I actually think many Christians find this to be true. The more wisdom you gain in the Lord, the less zeal you have. And I think David shows us a better way. He never stopped twirling, but he made sure the Levites were involved. You know what I'm saying? He learned his lesson, but it didn't cost him his fire. He learned that there is a way that God is calling us to follow him, but it didn't cost him his passion. This is still the man that says, God, if there's one thing I would ask for you, it would be that I could seek you for all the days of my life and I could be in your temple. Same man. It's the same guy. He didn't lose it. He made mistakes. He did dumb things. But it was that same fire that always brought him back to God. And it's the same fire that will bring you back to God. Amen. Psalms 119, 97, verses 104. That's how we're going to close. Um, and we're going to see that David's, David's view of the law really seemed to change. And here it is. He says, oh, how I love your law. You know what I'm saying? Mic drop. Amen. Yeah. Now, for Christians, the laws: I love your God, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And here is a new commandment I give you: uh, to love one another as I have loved you. That is three laws the Christians walk in. Three commandments. Well, God says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Right, And so that's Jesus has said that. Listen to me. I've said it a thousand times. I'm going to keep saying it because this whole, it's not a religion. It's a relationship that just drives me nuts because even Jesus was like, hey, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Uh, right? And so it's like there is an act of obedience in Christianity, but just like there's an act of obedience between me and my wife. Right? There are things that she says, hey, don't do this. I don't like that. I don't enjoy that. So I do them. It's obedience. It's not that I'm just, you know, it's not, it doesn't mean I'm not in a loving relationship. It does mean that there are guidelines and boundaries that keep our relationship healthy and happy. Yeah. Right? Um, but he says, I love your law, and it is my meditation all the day. Listen to me. If you're not meditating on the things of God, you are not seeking God. Yeah. Right? Read your word. Even if you just, like, take a verse of the day and you just think about it all day. 
<laughs> just do something. Start the process. You don't got to read 10 chapters and eight books. Like, just read a verse and, and just like live in it and enjoy it and think about its implications on your life. And I know people who it's like, I have one verse a week and I have to really learn to integrate it into my life. I think that's awesome. You know? But, I mean, I read two chapters a day. I read an Old Testament and a New Testament. That's what I've always done. I've done it since, like, I first found Jesus, and it's just a habit I've never lost. Right? There's no right way to do it as long as you're doing it. Yeah. And you're applying it. Um, verse 98. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. God's commandments are ever with you. Right? It's the only way to seek him and to know him is to know him. And he's written, you know, it's like, it's like if, if my wife wrote me a love note when we were dating, you know, and she shows up like, how'd you like the note? And I'm like, oh, I didn't read it, but you're so cute. You know, it's like, well, but I, like I wrote you something. <laughs> you know, like we want to read what God wrote for us. Um, it says, obeying God leads to a better life than doing things our own worldly way. Uh, verse 99, uh, I have more understanding than all my teachers. All right, listen, y'all, some of y'all think that now. You probably don't. Uh, but he got to that place in his life uh, for your testimonies or my meditation. What he's saying is I hit a point where I knew more than my teachers because while they were busy teaching, I was meditating on your word. Right? Even teachers should never stop learning. Right? Studying God brings wisdom beyond all the wisdom of learned men and women. Uh, verse 100 uh, says, I understand more than the ages, for I kept your precepts. Literally, he's like older people who have lived life. I understand more than them, and here's why. Because everything you told me to do, I kept it. They have a winding road, and I don't. Right? There's wisdom in just whatever God says. We just need to do it. It, it will bring you understanding that doesn't just come by nature of having survived a long life. Right. All right, verse 101. Uh, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. In order to have this wisdom, David had to avoid evil. If you want wisdom more than your teachers and understanding more than your teachers, and if you want, uh, if you want wisdom more than the aged men and women, he says right here, he's like, I held my feet back from evil. Compromising, going back to God, compromising and going back to God. That, that's not progress, you know? Like the going back to God is in progress if you've gone back 10 times. It's just where you were last week, right? There is something about staying in the path of God. Uh, 102, I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught them to me. I think this is one of the most important ones and David hits this all, all the time. Listen, God will teach you. If you find you're falling short, why can't I learn wisdom? God help me, seek him. He will break through the hardest of skulls. He did it for me. <laughs> I'm hard-headed as all heck. And he still has to break through in some areas. It's the best. Uh, verse 103. Uh, how sweet your words are to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You hear that, though? David's not just studying. He's enjoying it. Do you enjoy reading the word, or is it dry? Because if it's dry, you're not getting out of it what you need to. So you need to take that to God. Again, he'll teach you. God, I'm, I'm not enjoying this, but I want to know you. He'll bring it on fire. I was going through my, my old Bible recently, the first Bible I ever had, and I, you know, I talk, I've talked about this before, and I, I got to that Luke section, and I saw just it, the page. It was like, you know, clearly it had been soaking wet. It's like I cried over that page almost 10 years ago now, and the, the, the paper still, like, crunkled. And I looked at it, and it's like, 
I want that. You know, still speak to me like that, God. And he'll bring a tenderness. And 104 um, says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Or as Romans says, do not tolerate those false ways. Listen, as long as you are enjoying things that are not of God, the Bible says he who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Right? David says, I hate evil ways. Do you hate evil ways? Because if you don't, it's again back to that question, then you don't have a heart for him. And that's okay. So take it to him. I know uh, Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul Trichel, he's passed away, but is one of the first pastors in my life. And he would always talk about when he was struggling with alcoholism. He said, I used to pray to God, God, I, I want you to set me free. And he's like, but I realized I didn't. And so he's like, I, I spent the first year of my walk with God saying, God, I want you to help me to want to be free because I don't. Yeah. I want to keep enjoying this destructive thing. Right. But it's like, at least he was honest and he got set free because he sought right. truth and he sought to avoid evil. But it wasn't like God's like, yep, yeah, you're healed now. It was a process. Yeah. And it was a process that led to one of the wisest men I'd ever met in my life. Yeah. It's funny when he uh, when he passed away, um, they they had a meeting at that church where they're like, oh, we got to figure out who can take over his responsibilities. And then the conversation, people were like talking, like, oh, we don't know what he did. <laughs> you know, that's like, <clears throat> that's, that's basically my relationship with Pastor John. Uh, everyone walks up and they're like, God, that he blessed me, they prayed for me. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what he does, but he's doing it. So just keep, keep doing it, man of God. You know what I'm saying? But that was like the thing of like, they looked it on paper. They're like, I don't know what he did. But like, I had such breakthrough in my life because he sat with me and walked with me. That's what he did. He just loved people. That's what he did. It was intangible. And yet... Something was really lost when he was gone. Because that's a rare, rare thing. But I want to close in 2 Samuel uh, 6, 14 to 15. Um, sorry I went a little longer. But sorry, not sorry. Uh, and David danced before the Lord of all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. I already said it, but I want to end on something I already said. Do not let the wisdom of the Lord or the challenges of this world take your zeal. Because wisdom without zeal is just legalism. And it is a dry and miserable existence. An existence where you just judge every person for not living to the standards of your own heart. How could they do this? How could they, you know, well, this, he said this one word and it's not right in the Bible. You know, you just, you get so critical. And that's because, yeah, maybe you have a level of wisdom, but you have no zeal anymore. You're just angry and bitter, and you call it God, right? But keep David's way. That I, I, I hated evil, but I danced in the presence of the Lord, right? You know, people who will, you know, come up to me and complain about maybe how something, you hear this person, that is that person, that, but then during worship, they're like, looking upon all of their, I've been to many churches and I've seen it. There's a ton of churches where they always got that person who's like just looking upon all the peons who are they worshiping like me? And it's like, no, they're worshiping better than you because they're actually worshiping. Uh, but keep zeal, right? I think the thing about David is he forgot he was king because zeal kind of lets you forget <laughs> when you're dancing for the Lord about who's around you. <laughs> uh, dear Lord in heaven, uh, help us to seek you. Uh, God, I thank you um, that you're not, 
You're not distant. You're not far. But you are present and you are here. Father God, any of us who are found in your, by your name, Father God, that we are already filled with your Holy Spirit. That everywhere we walk, we walk in your presence. And so, God, I just pray that I know that you have sought us, uh, but I pray for every person in this room that there would be a fire to seek you in return. Father, Lord, um, we know that you love us, but, God, I pray that we would have hearts to love you in return. And I thank you for all the times I've fallen short, but you have met me. I thank you for all my times of weakness where you have made me strong. I thank you for the situations that I should not have gotten myself into if I had just listened to your wisdom. And regardless that you met me, you dusted me off and you walked me back to what was right. I thank you that you leave the 99 for the one. And for the many times that I have wandered and faltered, that you have always been faithful to bring me back. And I pray for every person in this room. I thank you that all of our stories are similar in that. That you've always found us again. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're kind to us. God, I pray that throughout this week we would meditate on that kindness. In Jesus' name I say, amen.